first announcement, if you are a core member, if you signed the paper, if you said that you're committed to this church, there is a meeting um, that will be held one week and three days from today. So it's not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after at six o'clock, we're meeting here. Um, be here, be square. Um, try your best to make arrangements to get here. And uh, Reformation launched yesterday. So if you get a chance, go to um, reformation.com. We're really excited about that. And that's pretty much it. So on that note, um, for the meet and greet, let's everybody go around and say what your favorite thing about your mom is. Okay. All right. We're, we're on. Hey, Revolution, what's going on? Let's try that one more time. Hey, Revolution, what's going on? Hey, someone's awake. Someone's awake. All right. I was going to think of some really funny things to say about Mother's Day, but I decided not to. In honor of Mother's Day, I would just not make fun of it. So there you go. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. I won't make fun of Mother's Day. Father's Day, that's fair game though because I'm a dad so I can make fun of like unmatched socks and weird ties and when your dad does laundry and it turns pink. You ever had that happen to you? No one? No one had like the dad that washed a red sock with the white underwear then like you have to go to school in like eighth grade and all your underwear is pink? Just Steve. I feel you. (laughs) I don't know how we made it out, bro. All right, tonight we're going to start a a new series on James. Uh, We'll be in this about three and a half months. So, uh, James, we're going to talk about tonight just to lay some groundwork of who James is, overall what this book is about, and why should we listen to James. So, to begin with, this book of James, um, it's written to the early church, so... We have basically a lot of um, like Jewish culture, religion converts on, into Christianity. Uh, so they are bringing a lot of the, the culture um, and the baggage from some of that religious culture with them. So James goes through kind of um, article by article addressing different areas of culture that they've, that they've kind of drug into this Christianity. And what, what works, what do we want to keep, and what is just, you know not what Jesus was going for, and at that point um, becomes some sort of legalism um, or, or own, our own works righteousness part. So we'll, we'll get into that as we go through. Um, but we want to keep in mind as we read James, this is written to primarily Jewish Christians. So some of this, when we get into it, we'll say, well, I, I thought Paul said something else, or I thought this says something else in the Bible or somewhere else, and we've got to keep in mind that it is specific towards this group of people. Um, you know, mainly James is about wisdom. Uh, it's about faith. Uh, a lot of folks call that the wisdom book of the New Testament. So when we get into this, you're going to hear a lot, a lot about faith um, and how that works with tradition and the different, different ideas that we had with that. So let's go ahead and look at James 1.1. That's what we'll be based on tonight. Uh, you can look in your blue Bibles if you want. We'll have a few different scriptures. You can see them up here. If you uh, are here tonight and don't have a Bible, feel free to take the blue Bible. It's not theft. It's not stealing. We won't call the cops and have you arrested in the parking lot. We'll wait till you get out on the street. So um, anyway, James 1.1. 1, 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. 
So that is basically him telling you, this is who I'm writing to. I'm not really that smart. I just read that before I told you guys what it was about. And it tells me, hey, this is to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Uh, so he actually means what he wrote here. So um, obviously at that time we've had the different, the 12 tribes, is a, you know, the 12 tribes of Judah, which is a, an Old Testament idea that you have these older cultures, these older pillars uh, of different sects of the faith that are in different locations at this point. So that's who James is writing to. Um, let's talk about who James is. So we got a couple different uh, twists on who James is. It like gets dicey. There's like some, some drama about whether James is who most people think he is or whether he's someone else. So there is a camp who believe that James um, is a cousin or like of Jesus. So the, the actual Greek language isn't that strong to say that it is for sure a half-brother. Um, it just says that he's family. So there are some people who argue that James is like a cousin. So I'm imagining how it works like, you know, somewhere like James's dad got locked up or something. So like the other family had to bring him in and then they raised him as brothers, but it's really his cousin. It sounds like some show from Hillbillies on TLC or something. But um, actually, it'd be on CMT because that's where all the hillbilly stuff is. So um, James is is something like that. So that's one view of it. There's another view that says James uh, was a brother, but a stepbrother because Joseph was married before he met Mary. Um, and while that's a neat theory, there's just not really any remote scripture to back that up. So, um, and, and the reason some people believe that is because they also believe that James. Um, would not be an actual half-brother or not be the son of Mary because there's an idea that Mary was for forever a virgin. So um, it, it's a, a doctrine called Semper Virgo, which the Catholic Church believes it, so that Mary was once a virgin and was always a virgin. Um, so her and Joseph never consummated that marriage. Um, sorry for Joseph. So, um, But that is also, there's, there's not a lot of... Um, there is not a lot of scripture or history to back that up. The, the motivation for that is we want, you know, the, the Catholic Church wants to make Mary um, something holy, which, I mean, it, it's obviously a, a, a great accomplishment what the Spirit did through, through her, but at the same point, we've got to be true to scripture. And what scripture looks like is that Jesus um, and James were half-brothers, so it would have been Joseph and Mary's son, actual son. Um, so I wanted to clear that up because if you talk to certain people, they're like, well, you know, that's, James isn't really, you know, Jesus is his half-brother, James is whatever, but to the best that we can make of, of all the history taken into account with Scripture, James and Jesus are half-brothers, and to be clear, there are a lot of James, so this isn't like Peter, James, and John had a little sailboat, you guys know that? That's not this James. You guys don't know Peter, James, and John had a little sailboat? David, you're shaking your head no. You've never heard that, ever. Well, that's where I learned it. That ain't a new school thing, man. Peter, James, and John had a little sailboat? I don't remember it all because I was like six. We're going to have to go through like child songs apparently and just do a whole sermon on songs we should have remembered like Father Abraham, Peter, James, and John, all that stuff. All right. Anyway, we'll move on. So that's not this James. There's two James who are apostles. Neither one of those James are this James of the 12. So just keep that in mind. James is a real popular name back in the day. Um, so things we want to mark, things that are significant about James. Um, James and his family 
didn't always believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That's important to note because that's a pretty neat apologetic portion of scripture that we can look at. We, we sometimes think, oh, you know, everyone, like, you know, when Jesus was a baby, he was a perfect baby and like they never changed his diaper and he never needed burped because he's Jesus, the son of God. And um, it was all like rainbows or whatever. But this is not true. Um, he was he was fully human, so he had the dynamic of having a father and a mother, um, and, and having brothers and sisters that we see in Scripture. So, when he gets out about thirty, gets out on his own, does his own ministry, um, he starts saying some pretty crazy things, you know, some pretty heretical things for the time. So, uh, they didn't believe him at first. Um, just as if any of you have a sister or brother, and they would claim to be God at, you know, you would find that somewhat skeptical in the beginning. Um, Some of you laugh. So uh, I have a brother and sister, and I'm sure they'd say the same thing about me. So um, it it, it wasn't a ruse. It wasn't like, oh, okay, well, they were all in on it from day one. Like, we're just going to say that our firstborn son is Jesus, and he was, you know, born of a virgin and all this, that, and the other and if we go through it far enough, like everyone will believe 2,000 years later that this guy is who he says he is. Um, they, they weren't in on day one. They weren't in at all. Um, in fact, let's look at Mark 3 here. We'll see an instance where this happens. So Jesus is out speaking and it says, when his family heard what he was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. And then we'll continue on just a little bit farther down in the chapter. And then Jesus' mothers and brothers came to him They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around uh, around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. At this point, Jesus knows what's going on because he's already heard the previous conversation, and he knows the sentiment behind it. So Jesus replies, Who is my mother? Uh, Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Um, So we can see that James... uh, as part of his brothers and one of the older brothers would have been there with him um james was not down in the beginning with jesus's message um there was some definite um i guess discontent um and and really just unbelief about okay you're making these claims that you are god um that that you are the creator and you are the one who's going to come and judge uh so there was some definite disconnect let's look at first corinthians 15 he was seen by, let's see, yeah, here we go. I passed on to you what was the most important to me and what had also been passed to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead in the third day just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and the twelve and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time and most of whom are still alive though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. This is important because this is talking about when James came to faith. So James didn't believe. Um, James wasn't, wasn't uh, jiving with what Jesus had to say. Um, as you can imagine, if your brother went around saying, Hey, uh, you know, I'm God. He and I are one. I am. You would have some reservation. At some point, you're like, you're ruining the family name. Like, you know, as if it's like if it was Dave's case. Like, Amber would be like, Dave, we have this empire over here at Mule Town Mini Mart. No one's going to buy Little Debbie's and gasoline from us if you keep saying these crazy things. So you could see why Amber would be all up in arms at Dave. I would be up in arms too if Dave was saying these things, but to put it in context. So that's, 
that's where we're at. So there's this family name that they have, uh, and Jesus is just ruining that by his outrageous claims. And so, this is the beginning of these claims, so at 30. So by the time he dies, three years later or so, um, you know, James doesn't come to faith at that point until we get to here. Until all of a sudden Jesus has died, Jesus is resurrected, um, and then Jesus comes to James. And that would have to be a pretty interesting meeting, um, considering, you know, you did what you said you were going to do, uh, so that, you know, therefore this makes you who you are, who you said you were going to be. Um, so that, that revelation would be pretty interesting. That's like the ultimate big brother, I told you so. It's like when you're trying to get your little brother in trouble and he's doing stuff like, you're going to get in trouble, you're going to get in trouble, and then like mom comes down on him, and then you're like, told you so. Like this is like the ultimate for the big brother there. So it's just like, told you, told you James, this is what's happening. I wonder if like James called him Jimmy. In my mind, I just picture Jesus and Jimmy for some reason, so... Um, anyway, so what happens with James? Where does James happen? What, what continues to happen with James? Let's look at Acts 1. They all meet together, and they were constantly united in prayer, along with them Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So we see as, as the early church has started, James comes to faith after seeing Jesus, and then now James is starting to be active in the church. Um, and it really is going to take off here um, James having this culture, it's very obvious, I guess, that Jesus' family was a devout Jewish family, um, obviously by, by the knowledge that James had. So James and his brothers, um, you know, there's, James has got a book of the Bible, um, and then he has a, another brother that has a book of the Bible, so, and then you also have Jesus. So it's a pretty interesting family, pretty devout family. So we see that they're able to take... Um, their culture, their knowledge at the time of what's going on, and then also with what Jesus said is. So everything you've heard up to this point as a Jewish Christian, everything you've heard um, is pointing to me. So you're waiting on Messiah. You're waiting on these people who Isaiah is talking about. That's me. So James is able to take that knowledge and say, oh, okay, I get it, um, and make this all about Jesus at that point. And so because of that, uh, he becomes a, a central part of the church. So the way the early church worked is you had the Jewish, um, kind of the Jewish Christians centered around Jerusalem, and then you had these branches that went out. Um, so you had in Jerusalem, you had James, you had Peter, um, which would be like the, the main hub of the church, and then going out to different places, you had Paul and Barnabas and different missionaries, and they were actually going out to the Gentiles. Um, so we, we can look at Galatians 1.18. We can see an example of this. Then three years later, this is Paul, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days, and the only other apostle I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. So we can see that um, Paul and Peter, they're kind of a big deal uh, in the early church. They're kind of the main, uh, the main cogs in, in really going out and doing missional work with Gentiles and uh, in Jerusalem with Jewish people. So we see that, that James was someone that, that Paul would want to speak to. So he names two people by name. It's going to be Peter and it's going to be James. And we also know that it's very clear that that's James, the Lord's brother, um, not the other uh, two James who would be an apostle or just any other random James because it was a super common name. So he was very specific about that. Um, and James carried a, a lot of weight uh, 
uh, not, I mean, I'm not saying he's fat. I just mean like his opinions, uh, his, the way he would reconcile scripture with culture and the life of Jesus carried a lot of weight and he was looked up to. We can see this, this scene and let's look at Acts 12. Uh, he motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what had happened, he said, and then we went to another place. So again, just saying this is um, Paul talking, wanting to make sure that James knew exactly what happened, kind of giving a report. So just as, um, but some level of hierarchy here. So like, uh, if, if there's something awry or if there's something kind of funky going on, or if we're really needing prayer because we're trying to make big decisions. So Dave uh, will come to me, or I can go to Dave, or both of us can go to Rick uh, Clark or maybe Matt and run these things by people. So we're still um, looking for people to submit to, to say, hey, I'm not sure where we're at on this. Do you have any wisdom you could give me? Have you been here before? You've done this thing um, you know, before. Where is it that we need to go? What is it that we need to do? How can we do this better? Um, and that's essentially what Paul is doing here. So Paul has uh, elders, in a sense, that he reports to, has people back at Jerusalem that he reports to um, who let him know, you know, are we on the right path? Are we doing what we should be doing? Is this where we're going? Um, and this is, is extremely evident in Acts 15. So let's, let me give you the backstory here. Basically, they've called this huge meeting and the Gentiles are coming to faith. So, at, at, to this point, we're dealing, you know, the church, early church is dealing with mostly Jewish Christians. So, um, they have a lot of the cultural Jewish traditions down. Um, so, some of the big ones, uh, you know, not eating unclean food, um, circumcision, some of these things, uh, the way they observe the Sabbath. All these things are things that uh, they were raised with, um, so it's second nature for them. It's not difficult for them to understand why they'd want to do this. Then all of a sudden they go out to Gentiles and they have no clue. So obviously they're, you know, they're slaying pigs left and right um, and they're not circumcised and they're not necessarily observing the Sabbath because they weren't raised with this culture. They don't understand what any of that would mean. So we're coming back. Uh, Peter, Peter and James have called a meeting. Paul's coming back and we're, they're going to sit down as the church council, I guess, as you would call it, in the early church and discuss. What should we do? Should, how should this work? Because the Gentiles aren't real keen on giving up pork and getting circumcised as a grown man. Just throwing that out there, I could understand. So they're all wanting to make like doubly sure that this is what God wants us to do. Like, are we really sure this is what God wants us to do? So um, that's where we're kind of picking up the story. And when they had finished, James, let me rephrase, and before this, um, you know, Paul just laid out all that I just laid out for you, and then they're having dialogue back and forth between, well, this is Jewish culture, this is Jewish custom, God said that we had to do this, so, you know, we're, we're God's chosen people as the Jewish culture, so if, if the Gentiles are going to do it, surely they have to do it, because they are not even God's chosen people to begin with, and then you have uh, Peter and Paul on one hand also saying yes, but at the same time we know that they've been saved, they've been baptized They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, so if God would dwell in them, does this stuff really need to happen, or is it just culture that we brought in? So they're having this dialogue back and forth. 
um, you know, something certainly we would not never have that today, tradition versus new ideas and all this other stuff. We wouldn't have that type of dialogue uh, today, not at all, because we would never think about the value of, you know, having drums versus not drums and all this stuff. Churches don't deal with that anymore. We've, we're way advanced beyond that as a people. So that's really heavy sarcasm for those of you that don't know me. Um, so let, here's where we're at. So the room, room falls silent. Everyone said their peace. And it says, when they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, Afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Just to give you an idea of how much weight James pulls. So you have Peter, um, who is the head of the church. So when Jesus dies, it's specifically said Peter. He's always listed first when it comes to apostles. Peter, you're the head of this church. So the first church, Peter is the head of the church. Then you have Paul, who has written a bulk of the New Testament. Both of these guys are submitting to James. Both of these guys are saying, here's what we think. And then James stands up and said, here's the call. Here's what we're going to do. And then they go out and do it. So all that to be said, if, if Peter is going to submit himself to James, and if Paul is going to submit himself to James, then surely um, we should submit ourselves to James. Um, James has, has a name, a nickname called being James the Just. That's, that's what he was known as. He was known as someone who was um, very fair and, and equal in the way that he would, he would do things. So we look at James as a whole here, and we see um, a guy not, not following Christ, uh, experiences Jesus at the resurrection. All of a sudden, you know, the spirit flips this light switch on, and, and James believes. James says, oh, I've added up everything you've told me. You said this is what was going to happen, and all of a sudden this happened. That means you have to be God. Uh, and then all of a sudden James gets put in a place of leadership in the church, um, James has very powerful men um, f- for the gospel reporting to him, men who, who have their fingerprints um, all over this book that, that I personally look up to. I say, man, if I could just be like Paul, that'd be awesome. If I could be like Peter, that'd be awesome. So we see that, that these people are submitting to James. So obviously we're going to have to do the same. Why does that seem like that's going to be hard? If you've never read James, then you're going to be in for a treat because James is a difficult book. Uh, not difficult to read. What is difficult to read because you read it and you want to pretend that it means something else than what it does. So it doesn't mean, oh, if, if I have faith and I, I would do these things, that must really have some other type of meaning. That really can't mean that, that I'm low on faith if, if I don't do these things that James says faith would have with it. Um, it's a difficult book because it challenges us. It makes us um, reevaluate what we call Christianity makes us reevaluate what Christianity looks like, and it makes us reevaluate um, who Jesus is and how we want to respond to that. Um, ultimately, James died for the gospel. James, um, you know, saw Jesus crucified, saw Jesus make the claims, I am the Son of God. Uh, I am the one who created everything, um, and I am here 
as a sacrificial lamb. So I am here. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. Uh, I, I lived a perfect life, as James witnessed, um, and then I'm going to lay that down for you. So James witnesses that. James sees Jesus on the cross dying. James gets to witness um, the perfect life that Jesus, that Jesus led. James gets to witness Jesus' resurrection. James gets to witness all of this fact, and then at the end, he's confronted with Jesus um, standing there in his sin, standing there saying, wow, I don't deserve any of this. I've seen everything you've done. Um, I've heard all these claims that you've made, and now they've come true. So who am I to stand here in front of you? And then Jesus, like he does for the rest of us, um, graciously exchanges James' life for his life. And then that causes a change in James. James goes from being someone of an outsider wanting Jesus to come home, let's lock you in your bedroom until you get better because you're crazy, uh, to someone who is one of the most influential pillars of, of the first church. So James dies. James dies a pretty gruesome death. James gets thrown off the temple um, around 62 AD. And the really cool part, like as a dude, like that doesn't kill him. Like to throw him off the temple... But James is like, he doesn't die. He's that, he's that much of a dude. Um, so they have to stone him. So like they throw him off the temple. He doesn't, he's not dead. I just in my mind am picturing him just praying or whatever, you know, probably banged up pretty good after being thrown off the temple. Um, and then, you know, Jewish leaders just coming over and pelting him with stones and ultimately stoning him to death. Um, and I look at that and that, Instead of being discouraging to me, like, oh man, if I believe in Jesus, I could die, that's encouraging to me in the sense of, what am I willing to do? So James goes from unbelief to belief to being a pillar of the church to death, and in the middle of this death doesn't deny Jesus, doesn't um, do, do anything that would denounce Jesus, but instead it, it just reaffirms everything we knew. It reaffirms the fact of who Jesus is. James died believing in Jesus, um, knowing initially that he didn't believe, which means what other reason would he have to take up for Jesus unless Jesus' claims are true? I mean, there, there's a level um, of authenticity here that says if Jesus' claims were in some way untrue, why would someone die for that? And more importantly, his own brother who saw him from birth to death would see him all the way through that, if he's going to die for that, if he's going to get tossed off uh, a temple and, and then stoned afterwards because that didn't kill him, wouldn't it have been just as easy before they tossed him if there was an ounce of disbelief to say, that's not true. Listen, I knew Jesus. You guys are right. It was a ruse. We were all in on it. Um, this isn't the way it happens. This isn't the way it's going to be. Uh, you know, whatever. We, just, we thought as a family this would be a cool thing to do or we wanted to get his name in the history books. I don't know, whatever. Especially being like the younger brother. So Jesus, is all this is made over and you're the younger brother, the middle child. You know, there's, apparently there's a syndrome now. They probably didn't have that back in his culture because they left, didn't care about junk like what kind of syndrome you have or if you have this, that, or the other. But there's this, he's the middle child and, and would have definitely said, hey, you know, Jesus should have never got all the attention. I'm, I'm just as much a holy man as Jesus. I'm just as much a part of the first church as Jesus. Uh, but instead, no, he, he gets tossed off the temple, then gets stoned. Um, and the questions I have, I guess, is what do we do with that? When we look at James's life, what are we going to do with that? Where do we go uh, with this idea that, that he clearly is going to die for the gospel? 
And if he's our example, if Paul is our example, then what are we doing about that? That's what we want to talk about through this sermon. What are we going to do with this idea of faith? What are we going to do with this idea of prayer? Um, As we hit through each one of these topics, we want to challenge you on what to do with that. We want to challenge you and make you feel uncomfortable in a way that says, what am I doing now that I should or should not be doing for the sake of the gospel? Because that's what we want to base everything off of. So is what I'm doing today, is what I'm doing with my life. A lot of you guys are young thinking about college, where you're going to end up. Will that decision, how can I glorify God? How can I make this decision centered around the gospel? Um, These are the things we want to challenge you with. We want to challenge you... um, to really, I guess, take heart in that. And I don't want it to be surface level challenges. I want it to be like serious challenges. Like, like James got thrown off a roof, and yet we have a hard time turning in papers for the core group. And I want to say, well, that doesn't seem to line up. If he's going to get thrown off the roof, shouldn't we take some initiative to sign a core group paper if you want to be involved? Or, um, you know, we have all kinds of things on the East End that we do. Uh, and I know it's difficult at times, but it's, you know, how much effort do we make in going out and being the hands and feet of Christ? How much effort do we make um, when things don't come easy for us to actually press through and, and present the gospel in a way that needs to be presented in a situation um, or, or to actually go out and physically be the hands and feet? Uh, one of the fears uh, that I have here is that we know a lot about the gospel, but I'm not sure we understand it because I'm not sure how much it affects what we do every day. I'm not sure that we understand it enough that it would change the way that we look at our family, our coworkers, um, or or the way we do life. And so that's one of the challenges I want to leave you with tonight, to think about that, to think about what James was willing to die for, seeing Jesus um, ever since he was born, and think about the way that that can challenge you. What are we willing to do with that? What are we going to do with that? We're going to meet in a couple of weeks, and that's our question. You know, do we continue um, to be a church? Do we continue? We just did a four-month, um, a four-month series on evangelism, but I don't think we really grew without the college students. So, we, do we continue to do this, or do we say, "Hey, we're just a college ministry. This is what we're going to do"? These are all big questions that we're going to ask. Um, these are all big, I guess. A, big time for for Dave and I and and Jeremy to figure out what's going on where are we going Um, it's going to be interesting it's going to be interesting to figure out what God wants to do with this place and at the same time what are you doing I mean our whole goal here is to equip you to go out and share the gospel I'm pretty sure most of you here know it but knowing it and doing it aren't the same thing knowing something and experiencing something aren't the same thing so that, that's the challenge tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity uh, just to come and learn about James, learn about one of your, your faithful servants. But Lord, I, I just pray that we're challenged with this idea of the gospel, that we're challenged um, with the life that you laid down for us that, that we didn't deserve and just freely exchange your life for ours. Lord, I, I thank you for that. I, I, it's just upon grace and mercy that you would be willing to do that for us. So, Lord, I, I pray tonight that, that we take that idea of the gospel. We take um, this thing that James found true when Jesus came and visited him. And, and I pray that we can take that 
um, and let it change our lives. Let us not only know the gospel, but let us affect us. Let us understand it and let us put it into action where we are uh, in the community in which we live, um, in the place that we work, uh, at the college, wherever we're at. Lord, I, I just pray that it would, it would cause action on our behalf and would cause us to think uh, differently and it would change the lens in which we view the world. Lord, I pray as, as we get ready to worship, um, uh, we've had some technical difficulties and whatnot here tonight, but, but I pray that we can be focused on you and not worried about uh, whether the lights work or anything like that. Um, but we can concentrate on that good news, on the gospel, on what you've done for us, and we can celebrate and we can sing and worship you f for that knowledge. In your name we pray, amen.